Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. stand with us as we worship together, worship him for who he is and the glorious day that he rescued us and redeemed us. Let's worship him. I was buried beneath my shame. could carry that kind of weight it was mine too till I met you I was breathing but not alive all my failures have tried It was my turn till I met you. You called my name and I
glorious day when we know the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. It's so great to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Peckway Church. My name is Scott Munson. I'm the worship pastor. Inside of your bulletin is a great connection card. I'm going to invite those here in person to take that out online. You're going to find a connect link there in your chat window. Click on that. You can do the exact same thing that we are doing here, but you can do that digitally and uh, follow the prompts once you do that and follow, uh, fill out that card. Also, if you're a first-time guest, all you have to do is simply take your mobile phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679 that's there on your screens. Follow those prompts as well, but actually then we get to text back and forth uh, as we get to know one another. But this is a great way for us to be able to do that, that connection that we can make because obviously I can't come out and get to greet each one of you every Sunday but uh, and the staff, but this is how we get to do that. So please take a moment anytime during today's service to fill out that card. On the back there, you'll find some places that you can write out prayer requests. There's also decisions. If you make a decision today, we would love to walk with you in that journey. So have that card handy a little bit later in the service. There'll be another link there in the chat window for those of you who are viewing with us today online. Well, we are continuing our sermon series, um, Fully Devoted is what we're talking about. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I've grown up in church pretty much all my life, but the Holy Spirit's always been one of those things that's like, you hear all these different things about the Holy Spirit, right? And, uh, but you know, when we, when we surrender to God, when we get to know Him, when we uh, let Him control our lives, then, um, then we can, I was going to share something with you, but I'm just going to have to do it off the top of my head. But when we get to know Him, you know, we can do all these self-help kind of things, right? And there was a scripture I was reading this morning that talked about that in the message, that, but the self-help things are not what we need. What we need is to let Jesus be the controller of our life. Let him help us in the things that we're doing. And so today I'm hoping that as we discover what Jesus did for us by sending us the Holy Spirit, that some of the, that mystery maybe uh, of the unknown of, or maybe the fear or whatever it could be about the Holy Spirit, but that we will feel a little more comfortable in letting him guide us by giving his Holy Spirit. So let's watch this quick video just to kind of give us a highlight of what it meant on the day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Let's watch. This is Pentecost. Everything is different. Everything is new. Everything. This is the birth of the church. The wind swirls, a hurricane blows, the stale air is forced out, the dust disappears in an instant. The air is fresh, the light is all around, the Holy Spirit enters our lives and we become a new creation. It turns us around, turns our lives upside down, blows away the stale and the old. Christ enters our lives and we are made new we are made whole this is the birth of the church we are gathered here in this place in this time to be something new to refresh the old to reboot the past to be the church God created us to be to be the new creation this is the Pentecost God is here Christ is here the spirit is here and we are part of it we are the new creation 
And that's what we get when we accept Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit to help us through the battles, through the things in our lives. And I'm going to share this with you this morning. This is from a prayer, but it's talking about those battles. It says, God, you fight for me before I even know I'm in a battle. And you protect me before I'm aware that I need uh, protection. But even still, you invite me to make my request known to you because you love to hear from me. Thank you for caring about every area of my life. And so that's what we can do. We just simply come to him in prayer and we let him know. And he already knows, but he knows those, those trials, those battles, those things that we're going through. And we don't have to try to do them on our own, but that we can ask him to take those battles, to take those things and help us trust him in his spirit. Would you stand as we sing together about that this morning, that the battle belongs to him. Let's worship him. See my victory when all I see is a mountain. You see a mountain moved, and as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. Let's go. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. The battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, then you can be against me. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible. Almighty fortress, you 
surrender your battles to him today. Any of those things that you're struggling with, he is here because he fiercely loves us. So let's continue worshiping him, thinking of that this morning, of his fierce love for us, his unending love for us. He deserves our praise. Would you pour it out on him today?
God, today for your fierce love, that when we stand on your love, that we cannot fail, we cannot fall. So let's continue that thought this morning, that we can stand in his love today on that firm foundation of who Jesus is. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Now shame no longer has a place to hide. Not a captive to the lies. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind, and I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm Jesus, we're thankful for your love today, that we can stand 
fearlessly in the face of the storms, the trials, anything that would come and stand against us, God. We thank you for the power that there is in your Holy Spirit. Father, that through you, through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, that we can stand today. Lord, that we don't have to depend on our own, uh, our own resources, any of those things, God. And so today, I pray that you would help us to recognize if that's what we're trying to do, if we're trying to, uh, Lord, face things in our lives uh, that, that we have no business trying to control, Father. And so help us to surrender to you today. Lord, as we come to this moment to hear in your word, Father, how you have sent your spirit, God, to be present with us every day to help us walk this journey of life. Uh, and so now I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be tender to you when we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team. And good morning. And I want to, as we continue this series of Fully Devoted to God, I want to encourage you, invite you to do something with me. And for some of you, it's going to be very, very easy. And for others of you, it's going to be a little bit more of a stretch. And that is simply because you didn't grow up familiar with God's Word. But here's what I want you to do with me this morning. I want you to take a moment and just imagine what it must have been like to walk with Jesus. Now, again, as I said, for some of you, you've grown up, you've been to VBS, you've been to Sunday school, you've heard the biblical stories, the stories of Jesus all your life. Others of you, and I was talking to someone Friday on the phone from the, from the West Coast who grew up around that, yet many, many things in his life, he just had misunderstandings of Scripture, misunderstandings of life experiences, and, and that might be more difficult. But I want to say to you, regardless of where you're on the continuum, I'm glad that you're here today. But I want you to imagine, let me read you, lead you through this for a second. I mean, imagine what it was like to witness Jesus actually teach the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, to hear it, to listen to it. I mean, imagine what it must have been like to watch him feed 5,000. Imagine what it must have been like if you were one of the disciples to actually watch Jesus speak and calm the wind and the waves of the Sea of Galilee. Imagine what it was like for Jesus to be in the crowd and to see Jesus call out to Lazarus and bring him back from the grave, to raise him back to life. And imagine, if you would, what it was like for Jesus to consistently, repeatedly teach the Word and the truth of God and yet find himself repeatedly and continually facing ridicule and opposition and insult from religious and spiritual leaders, even from political and civil leaders. And yet, instead of becoming angry and resentful, he, he repeatedly didn't flinch. He repeatedly responded with grace and truth. And then that same strength and power almost seemed to melt in, in, in compassion and grace as Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept over their indifference. I want you to imagine what it must have been like to walk with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, and I did that this week in my preparation, I just I came to one conclusion. It would have been amazing. Now, here's the reason I ask you to do that with me, and I hope you did do it with me, because when you imagine what it was like to walk with Jesus, then when you come to the statement that Jesus made in John chapter 16, verse 7, I don't know about you, but I find it really, really confusing. And, and it's printed there on your outline for you, because here's what Jesus told his disciples, these men who had walked with him and talked with them, and seen Jesus do all these incredible things, here's what he said to them. He said, it is best for you if I go away. Now, just underline that. We want to spend some time there. It's best for you if we go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, again, imagine what, how you would have responded in that situation. 
Again, for me, I, I would have, if I would have seen all those things, experienced all those things with Jesus, and he said, it's best for you I'd go away, that I'd leave you, I'd be going, time out, Jesus. Wait a minute, Jesus. What could be better for me than to be with you? What possibly could be better, Jesus? And, and I wouldn't say it indifferently. I wouldn't say it belligerently. I would just say it in absolute confusion and maybe even fear. Jesus, what could be better? And yet that's what Jesus said. And so the question we need to ask, because Jesus certainly meant what he said and he said what he meant, then why in the world would Jesus do that? And I would suggest to you the reason Jesus said that is because he understood in that moment something his disciples did not yet understand. And quite honestly, it's things in my life and maybe in your life too that we often forget even though we know it. And here's what it is. Jesus understood the reason he said that because Jesus understood that the life that is calling us to live and the mission and purpose is calling us to fill cannot be accomplished unless our character is transformed and our life empowered by the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. And so for that reason, Jesus did three intentional significant things before he went back to heaven. Before he went to the cross and before he ultimately ascended back into heaven, Jesus did three significant things for us. And it's there on your outline. I just want to walk you through them. I'm not going to spend much time here. I'm just going to give them to you, give you the scripture reference, and then I'm going to let you spend the week thinking about it. But here's the first thing Jesus did in light of the fact that he recognized that our character must be transformed and our lives empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit if we're going to live the life he calls us to live, if we're going to fulfill the mission he calls us to fulfill. And here's the first thing. He prayed and he asked his Father to make us holy. To make us holy. I want you to look at the verse. This, this is before Jesus goes to the cross. This is before Jesus is crucified, before he's arrested. Shortly before that, he, he, prays us, he prays to the Father. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And so the first thing Jesus did is he prayed and asked his Father to make you and I holy, to purify us. Some of us have grown around the brethren in Christ and the holiness movement, and we've used and heard the expression he prayed that God would sanctify us, to set us apart. Here's the second thing he did. Not only Jesus did that, but second, he promised us, he promised the disciples and promised us the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Take a look at what he said. Here again, he's already preparing to ascend into heaven. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, John the Baptist, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing Jesus did for us. He promised the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing he did. He proclaimed, he promised, if you will, the Holy Spirit would empower us. Particularly, we'll read in the next verse there in the outline in the book of Acts. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that's what he did for us. And here's what I want to point out to you. Most of you recognize this. Some of you have never made the connection. And, and, but here's what we recognize from what Luke tells us in the book of Acts, we can firmly believe and see that what Jesus prayed and what Jesus promised was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. 
I'll say that again. What we see clearly from what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2 is that what Jesus prayed and what Jesus promised was both fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Take a look at what we read. Let's go to Luke's account. And I'll begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, On that day, the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered at what they heard, for they heard their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed and said, How can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done for us. They stood there amazed and perplexed and asked the question, what can this mean? They asked one another. And I want you to underline that phrase, that question that was asked by the devout Jews, what can this mean? Because what I want to do today is I want to try to answer that question with you. The question asked by the devout Jews, and here's why. Because I am convinced, absolutely convinced, that if we can understand what Pentecost meant for them, I really do believe we'll discover what Pentecost means for us today. And so let's just begin going down that road, folks. And here's the first thing I want you to understand, we need to understand. Pentecost was, and still is, a Christ-centered event. Pentecost was, and is still, a Christ-centered event. Now let's just kind of walk back through the story, because Luke makes it very clear that there were many in the crowd that day who were amazed and even perplexed at what they saw and heard. But he tells us, and, and here's the next verse in the island, he says, but there were others in the crowd ridiculing them, that is, the, the, the 120, specifically the apostles, saying they just, they're just drunk, that's all. So that, there were two opinions going on in there, and in the midst of these two opinions, Peter stands up, and Peter offers a vastly different interpretation of the events. Take a look at what, he, what we read next there on your outline. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen careful, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. In other words, this is really, really important. Pay attention. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And then kind of fast-forwarding a little bit in, 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 if you will, Peter's first sermon, he then points to Jesus and says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, which is God's right hand. And the Father, as had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. 
Now, here's what I want you to do in your minds, folks. When we lay alongside what Jesus said, and I'm going to share with you in just a moment what Peter said alongside what Jesus said in John 16:4, something becomes real clear. And let me read for you what Jesus said. He said, he, referring to the Holy Spirit, won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen, and indeed, out of all I have done and said. For he will honor me, for he will take from me and deliver it to you. Now, here's what becomes clear when we put those two passages, what Peter had to say and what Jesus had to say, when we put them together, folks, what becomes clear is that we cannot separate the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of Jesus. You say, what's the significance of that? What's the relevance of, of that to our lives? Here's the relevance to your life and to mine, folks. What that means is simply this, being filled with the Holy Spirit, experiencing the sanctified life, the holy life, being baptized with the Spirit. I'm using all of those synonymously, folks, that they must produce a Christ-like life. And if they don't produce a Christ-like life, then we need to question the experience. Let me say that again, folks. When we bring what Peter said and what Jesus said in John 16, 4, we bring those two side by side. What they tell us completely is the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus cannot be separated, which means this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being, being baptized with the Holy Spirit must produce in your life and mine a Christ-like life. And if it doesn't, we need to question the experience. Now, here's the reason I'm stressing that. Here's why I repeated that. Because after almost three decades of ministry and, and almost 40 years of following Jesus, here is what I would say almost without reservation. And that is, almost without exception, the vast, vast majority of concerns, reservations, even resistance to the idea of the Spirit-filled life or being baptized with the Spirit or living the holy life, almost always I can trace it back as I listen to someone having a, a, an extreme, experiencing an extreme claim or someone seeing an extreme experience or extreme expression of the Baptist Holy Spirit's life. Now, what I mean by that is this, folks, that what I've discovered and what I observe is if we remember that the Spirit-filled life, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, begins and ends, is rooted and is expressed in Christ-like character and conduct, then most of those reservations evaporate. Many times what I witness is people have reservations about it because they heard an extreme claim made by a person or often a pastor, or they seem or experienced or heard about extreme expression of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they draw back from it. But what they fail to understand is the Spirit-filled life, the baptized, Spirit-baptized life, is a life that is rooted and expressed in Christ-like character and conduct. And so any claim or expression or experience that doesn't align with the life and teaching of Jesus, we can be certain that that claim, that expression, that experience is not what Jesus prayed about. And it's not what happened and what God fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Does that make sense? Because the Spirit-filled life, the, the Spirit-baptized life always was and always will be a Christ-centered experience. Now, that's the first thing I want us to understand. The second thing we need to understand is Pentecost was and is an empowering experience. Take a look at the next thing we, Luke writes. He says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Now, what I want you to notice is the experience of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit was, was in fact experienced or seen as a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In other words, the, the significance really I want you to get from that is this, folks, that the experience of the Holy Spirit empowering those 120 believers was, was something significant that empowered them not to do extraordinary things as much as it empowered them to be capable, competent, credible witnesses for Jesus. You see, the primary purpose, and I choose that word carefully, was to equip them to be witnesses. That doesn't mean extraordinary things sometimes and do happen in conjunction and association with the spirit-filled life. But the primary purpose is to make you competent and compelling witnesses for Jesus, for you and I to be able to lift up Christ and draw people to him. And so the real miracle of Pentecost, folks, was not that the disciples spoke in languages they never learned. The real miracle of Pentecost was that these men, these women who had been afraid and frightened and hiding, suddenly came forth and began to speak in a compelling and convincing way to a crowd that was highly skeptical and highly critical. And they were effective witnesses of Jesus. So let me be clear. Being spirit-filled, folks, primarily is not about you and I being able to do signs and wonders. It's not about us to simply be able to do incredible things. It's about you and I being effective witnesses for Jesus. And I say that because that's what Jesus tied his promise to. I want you to take a look at it again at John, rather, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And notice what he says will, will happen. Not that you will be able to do signs and wonders. Not that you will do incredible things. He says, so you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And for that reason, it, it, it then stands to reason why in verse 37 we read this, that Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? It also explains why at the beginning of Acts we see that these men, as I mentioned, that were frightened and afraid and hiding behind locked doors suddenly leave those safe surroundings and go out into the city, probably into the temple itself, or the, the common area of the temple itself, and began to boldly, tell people about Jesus. And the only explanation that's offered to us by Luke is this, that these men, that these women, had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They had been filled with the Spirit. And here's the reason I, I say that. The relevance to your life and mine is this, folks, that being filled with the Spirit will impact us in similar ways. In other words, what I mean by that is this, it will empower you, it will empower me to step out and speak out for Jesus in ways, and this is the incredible thing for me, and I've seen it over and over again in people's lives, it will lead us to step out and speak out for Jesus in ways that lead skeptical, critical people to willingly listen to what we have to say about Jesus. It will make us effective witnesses. So here's, here's where let's get practical, folks. Let me ask you this question. Ask for yourself. So when I'm with other people, when others are around me, do they sense something different about me? More specifically, when I'm with others, do they sense the presence and the power of Jesus in my life? And sensing that presence and power of Jesus, are they drawn not to me, but to Jesus? 
I want to give you a practical, true story example of how that works out, that, that sensing the power and the presence of Jesus in life that ultimately brings others to faith. It's a true story about a young man by the name of Raiden. Raiden, before he became a follower of Jesus, was a professional fighter. He became a Christian and went off to seminary, and part of the seminary training was to go out into a village. He was from Indonesia, go out to a remote village and preach and teach about Jesus. So that's what Raiden did, and Raiden arrived as these happened in remote villages. Word spread that this stranger had come to talk about this, this person, Jesus. And word of that reached the village witch doctor, and the village witch doctor came, and he challenged Raiden to a fight. Now remember, Raiden had been a professional fighter. And so Raiden confessed, he said, my first thought is, I'll just take him out. I'll just lay him out. And he says, as he was heading outside, I, I sensed the Spirit of God say to me, you no, no longer need to fight. I'll fight for you. And so what Raiden did going outside, rather than, you know, squaring off with the witch doctor, he literally found a chair, sat down in the chair, and said to the witch doctor, I no longer do the fighting. My God fights for me. Well, the witch doctor began to speak, but as he began to speak, he began to choke. And then he began to struggle to breathe. And literally within a few minutes, the witch doctor was dead. And, and Raiden confessed, and I mean, I, and I get this, and if you've ever spoken in public, be a part of those kind of things where God's moved in a powerful way, then Raiden said, you know what, I really didn't know what to do at the moment. But then he said, it occurred to me, and I think it was God's spirit, said to me, this would be a good time to talk about Jesus. And so that's what Raiden did. And many, many of the people who had gathered in that village and witnessed all this taking place eventually put their faith in Jesus. And folks, here's the reason I share that story. Because 2,000 years ago, 120 of Jesus' followers were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus promised their witness was empowered. And for that reason, the Apostle Peter was able to stand up and, and stand before this group and, and proclaim Jesus, teach Jesus, and as a result, 3,000 came to faith in Jesus that day. And folks, the only reason that happened, the only explanation we're given in Scripture for why that happened was because Pentecost, being filled with the Spirit, is an empowering experience. Let me share you the final thing. In response to the devout Jews' question, what does this mean? And the question, what does it mean to our lives? And it's simply this. Pentecost was and is a purifying experience. A purifying experience. For here's what we read. Then what looked like the flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, I think we all know and recognize that one of the unique qualities of fire is the ability to purify, the ability to refine. And that's a significant theme throughout the scripture, this idea of the refiner's fire, fire refining. And Peter goes to that theme and draws on that theme of Pentecost and the theme of fire when he was asked 15 years later, approximately 15 years later, it was called the Council of Jerusalem, to speak to the question of what exactly do we require Gentile believers to do and say and how to behave as followers of Christ. And I want you to notice what Peter said, kind of the, his defense for his position. He says this, he says, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepted Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit 
just as he did to us. When? On Pentecost. He made no distinction between us and them, for just like us, Peter is inferring, on the day of Pentecost, he, clean, he cleansed their hearts through faith. So think about that for a second. According to the Apostle Peter, he said on the day of Pentecost, God not only empowered the 120, he also purified or cleansed their hearts by faith. And in saying that, we need to know and recognize Peter wasn't saying anything novel or new. Peter honestly was just following in the streams of many, many of God's prophets and the most recent, John the Baptist. Because in talking about the coming Messiah, who John very shortly after this discovered was in fact his cousin Jesus, John said this, he said, I baptize with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And so again, what Peter simply was doing by pointing to the day of Pentecost and saying that just as God cleansed the hearts of the 120, he cleansed the heart of the Gentile, he was just simply joining John and the prophets in this idea talking about the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. And folks, after reflecting on John's words and, and Peter's words, somebody that many of you recognize his name, he's an incredible preacher and teacher by the name of Lloyd Ogilvy wrote this. I want you to hear what he writes. He observes this. He said, the spirit fire burns out the chaff in those who have survived, survived rather, the winnowing fork's task. The wheat of the Lord has chaff in their minds. You and I are the wheat, which the spirit of the Lord burns away. He burns out anything which could cripple us in his service. His spirit is given for the continuation of his ministry. Therefore, the chaff of anything that separates us from God or any other person is burned away with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the spirit comes into us, his, he is companion and friend in life's challenges. But he loves us so much that he burns away what will debilitate us or prevent us from fully becoming the person we were meant to be. Now, folks, in light of that, in light of that incredible, profound statement by Dr. Ogilvie, I want to just ask you, can we just agree that rather than spinning our wheels debating what is or isn't burned away in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we could simply agree that whatever's chaff, that whatever is unlike Jesus, that whatever doesn't advance his purposes and missions in this world and in our lives, that is burned away. It's removed from our lives. And here's the reason why. So that the love of God and the love of others can be the guiding, residing, motivating principle in our lives. Can we agree? That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. Now I say that and I ask that, but even as I say that, I recognize again in our culture and even in the church that the reality is that many people just simply do not believe or are unwilling to accept that God can do that kind of purifying work in our lives this side of heaven. And yet, folks, I, I recognize that and I understand that. But what's interesting to me, and I don't mean this in any combative and ugly way, but what's interesting to me is many of us who say that have absolutely no problem expecting people to provide us with purity. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about things like purity in our food, purity in our water, purity in our medications, in our air. 
And so we have organizations in this country like the EPA and the FDA to ensure that our food and our, our medicines and our air and our water are clean. And yet if you've done any studying and examining of those standards, you realize people cannot deliver that. And maybe, and hope not to ruin your lunch, let's just spend some time looking at just a couple of these FDA standards, can we? Let me give you the first one, apple butter. Anyone besides me enjoy apple butter? You go, let me hear what you got to say first. Okay, here, here let, let me give you the standard. According, according to the FDA, if a serving of apple butter contains 12% or more mold, or the average, or it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams, 100 grams is a serving, or if it averages five or more whole insects per 100 grams, then it cannot be sold and it cannot be considered pure. Now, on first, we go, okay, but think about that, folks. So what the FDA is actually saying is that we, you and I could have a serving of apple butter for lunch this afternoon, and it can contain 11% mold, four insects, three rodent hairs, and the good news is it's still pure. Okay, now I'm really going to melt. How, how many of you like coffee? Come on, be honest. Okay. The FDA has said coffee and coffee beans can be sold if less than 10% of it is insect infested. Or, I love this one, if there's less than one live insect in each of two adjacent containers. In other words, folks, if there's one insect in one container, grind it up and, and serve it up. So let me just ask you, anyone interested in kind of a mocha cockroach latte this afternoon? <laughs> Okay, Starbucks isn't going to appreciate that. How, how, how about this one? How about dried mushrooms? I, lo I love mushrooms, but here's, according to the FDA, they cannot be sold as pure if the average, and this one really blows me away, 20 or more maggots of any size in 15 grams. Folks, 15 grams is not much. Now, the good news is, if you love mushrooms, if there's only 19 or less maggots in those 15 grams, throw them on the pizza, call it a party. Here's my point, folks. Here, here, you know, all kidding aside, here's my point. If we're honest, and, and by your reaction, I can tell, we're, we're, we're honest, those standards of purity bother us. And that's because the purity of our food matters. It really does, doesn't it? But folks, when we lay alongside the purity of our food with the purity of our lives, the purity of food is nothing by comparison. Which is why Jesus prayed what he did. He prayed and said, Father, make my followers holy. And why in answer to that prayer, God purified the hearts of the 120 by faith because, listen, your purity and my purity does matter to God. So let's just get practical, folks. Here's my point in sharing that. Here's what we need to understand. We do not have to say in our lives, in conversations, in our hearts, when it comes to our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions, well, that's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Folks, the reality is, we can change. We don't have to stay the same. And I say that because the reality is Jesus' prayer was answered and his promise was fulfilled. We can, in fact, live lives that are holy in this life, 
this side of heaven. Not perfect, but holy. Set apart, dedicated God. Living with a moral compass that points to true north, folks. My point is, folks, we do not have to say, there's nothing I can do about it. We can live because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can live Christ-centered, pure, and empowered lives. Now, here's my question to you as I end. And it really is for you and you alone. Does that describe your life? Can you say, not looking for perfection, but for the biblical standard, can you say, my life is Christ-centered? My life is pure. My life is empowered by God. Does that describe your life? If not, the good news is this, it can. It can. Because the reality is the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and for me what he did for the 120. He wants to enable us to live Christ-centered lives by purifying our hearts by faith and empowering our witness for Jesus. Folks, I hope this morning, if nothing else, you realize that question is beyond doubt. But the question that we need to understand is still in question is this. Will we let the Holy Spirit do it? Will we let the Holy Spirit do what Jesus prayed for? Will we let the Holy Spirit do what Jesus promised? To purify our hearts by faith. To empower our witness. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you, and again, it's for, it's for you to reflect on, But here's my question. Since coming to faith in Jesus, have you ever asked God to make you holy by purifying your heart by faith and empowering your witness through the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If not, why not today? Because, folks, that's why Jesus prayed what he did, and that's why Jesus promised what he did. And so I just want to say to you in this moment, if the desire of your heart is for the presence and the purity and the power of Jesus to be in your life so fully and so completely that others sense him in your life, then I invite you today, just ask God to cleanse your heart and empower your witness. I'm going to give you time to do that in your own words as Scott continues to to play, and I'm just going to let you talk to God. Ask Him to do for you what Jesus prayed and to fulfill the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave you.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your promise that our hearts can be purified and our passions and priorities in life can be changed. But even more than that, Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who makes that all possible in our lives. Thank you that we can live transformed lives, that we can live with your power infused into our attitudes and our actions, that as people interact with us, as they listen to us, as they watch us, they can see Jesus. Father, we recognize that that is not of ourselves. It's your gift to us so that none of us can boast. And yet it is your desire for us. And so, Father, right now, I pray for many of us, you give us our own personal Pentecost, that you purify our hearts by faith that you transform our character, that you empower our witness so that others can come to know the joy, the peace, the purity that we enjoy because you're a part of our lives. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for what you do to give us wisdom, direction, and power with this beyond ourselves. Father, we thank you for the incredible thing and the difference that Pentecost makes in our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry, for that message this morning. And uh, for you guys uh, here in, in person, I'm going to invite you to take out that gray card once again. Online, there's going to be that connection link in the window. Uh, but perhaps as, as Jerry was preaching this morning, God was speaking to your heart. Um, he talked about the purity in our lives, and maybe that's something that you struggle with. And as he said, you know, maybe you give yourself that, that excuse of, well, that's just the way I am. But I, I don't believe that. I believe that when we know Jesus, when we come into this relationship with him, that we have the power to be able to overcome the things in our lives because of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so a couple of questions for us this morning. You know, are you tired of trying to live in your own strength? I've been there. I've done that. And it's, it's tiring. It doesn't work. And uh, only when we depend on the Holy Spirit and walking with him and step each day, that's how we can have the strength to be able to face the things in our lives. Uh, and are you ready to walk in the, the empowered uh, life by the Holy Spirit, but you don't know how? I want to share with you a scripture that's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29. This is in the um, message version. It says, do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. Um, and do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to be burned, and he won't quit until all is cleansed. God himself is fire. And Jerry talked about that in that, that last uh, uh, portion of the message today about the Holy Spirit cleaning out those things, doing those things, burning away those things. You can have that experience 
with God today. On the back of your card, there's some things there about a decision. Maybe you made a decision for the first time to follow Jesus today, or you recommitted your life, or you want to know more about what it means to live a spirit-filled life. You can check that on the card this morning. There's also, if you'd like information, you want to know about that relationship with Jesus. A good way to be able to grow in your relationship is to get involved in a small group. I would encourage you to check that box so that you could get information. We can get you those resources. You can do all of that online as well this morning. But I encourage you not to leave this moment, but to let that stirring of your heart that God is, is uh, doing Just make that step of faith this morning. Make that decision. And as I think about what Jesus has done to us, how he's given to us, we also have that opportunity to bless others through our tithes and offerings and our gifts. You can do that this morning in the back of the room. There's envelopes if you want to give in person uh, with check or cash Uh, online. You can also click the link. There will be a give link. You can also do that through your mobile phone. Uh, I believe there's information about that in your bulletin this morning. But We're not asking you to give out of compulsion, but just as the joy of the Lord, that as he fills our hearts and our lives with his spirit, with his presence, that's that outpouring of that. So in your offerings, your gifts, help us to be able to put the gospel out through through our website, through our stream, and to be able to share this wonderful joy of the relationship with Jesus through the things that we can provide, these resources. Thank you so much for being here this morning, your attention and worshiping. I invite you to be back again next week at either 9 or 10.30 as we worship again together. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.